Here we go. You are listening to Wednesday's March the 3rd, 2021 broadcast of Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And those of you who have been listening to me for the past Wednesdays, in fact, for 39 of them, we had gone through CFW Walther's lectures to seminary students on Friday nights on law and gospel. Well, we're now going to do seven weeks on the churches of Revelation. Of what am I talking about? Well, Revelation is considered by many people to be a most difficult text to understand and apply. In fact, Martin Luther did not really like Revelation very much. He put it in the same category as Daniel. That's because of what's referred to as apocalyptic language with a lot of metaphors and similes and pictures, and it just didn't seem to be as clear. So early in Luther's ministry, he didn't have too much to say that was good about Revelation. But then in listening to others, he got, first of all, to understand the importance of the book of Daniel, and then use those same kind of principles to understand the book of Revelation. So near the end of his life, well, actually beginning around 1535, uh, Luther began to appreciate the book of Revelation. Part of the reason why it's so difficult to understand is it has a lot of language that you're wondering, what does this mean? Well, if you have the code to Revelation, then you can understand what the passage means. And what is the code? The code is a great Reformation principle of Scripture interprets Scripture. In other words, you can take a look at a verse in Revelation, not know what it means, but by the use of a concordance. Now, concordance is a book that has all the words of the Bible in alphabetical order. So you can take a look, for example, at the Son of Man, that phraseology, and find all the places that it is found and get a much better understanding of what it means. So it's really pretty simple to understand the book of Revelation if you follow the code. Early in my ministry at the congregation I was at for 28 years, the first year and a half that I got there, the Bible study on Sunday morning was on the book of Revelation. That's all we studied. And how I did it, I began with each, <coughs> excuse me, each verse. And I would then, under each verse, put down the passages from elsewhere in the Bible that would help one to understand that particular verse. Now, we're going to be taking a look only at chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. In fact, in Revelation 1, chapter 1, verse 9, John is told, he's on the island of Patmos, 
and he's in exile, and he hears behind him a great voice like that of a trumpet saying, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then they're named in verse 11, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, just taking a look at those chapters two and three, it may not be obvious to you that there is a similar pattern to each of the seven churches. Now, first of all, we find the name of the church and then some detail about the church. Then there is Jesus introducing himself. And he introduces himself in seven different ways. Then, what is good about the church? He says that. What is bad about the church? He says that. And then the primary purpose of the messages to the churches is a call to repentance. And then that is followed by a promise to those who conquer and repent and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. So we're going to take a look at each of these characteristics of the various churches. And we're going to begin with chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now, these seven churches were in a similar geographical location. And Ephesus was actually becoming the principal commercial center and also was the provincial capital. There were about a quarter of a million people there, but there was also an imperial cult. That means the Romans had a temple dedicated to the emperors. And finally, one of the emperors, his name was Domitian, came to be regarded as a god, especially by the Greeks. And his reign was characterized by terror, especially in the latter years. We hear from Eusebius, Eusebius that Christians were persecuted. And it was during this reign that John wrote. Now, we do know that in Ephesus, Paul, together with Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila, had formed a Christian community there. And John became bishop of the church in Ephesus. So, let's take a look at verse Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, now, right away we wonder, who is the angel? There are a number of options here. It could be that God has a specific angel 
that kind of watches over individual congregations, like he has specific guardian angels for each Christian. Or, and this is my kind of thinking, the word angel means messenger. And therefore, who is the messenger in the church that speaks the word of God to the church members? It is the pastors. So that's an option that Jesus is writing to the pastors, and this one in Ephesus. And he introduces himself. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks about in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Well, what does that mean? The seven stars, the seven golden lampstands. Remember what I said? Scripture interprets scripture. Sometimes it's interpreted right within the book of Revelation or the New Testament, and particularly in the Old Testament. You turn back to chapter 1, verse 12, and it says, In his vision John was speaking, and he saw seven golden lampstands. And he saw one like the Son of Man, and in his right hand he had seven stars. Now, what are the seven stars? What are the seven lampstands? We don't have to guess at that. We just go to verse 20 of chapter 1. The mystery of the seven stars, which you see in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. Now, we can understand that, because who gives light to the world? But that is particularly found in a divine worship service. In that service, the liturgy gives glory to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Following that, you have hymns that praise the Lord. You have a sermon. Then you might have the sacraments of baptism or the Lord's Supper. So, Jesus is the one who has control over the seven golden lampstands. Uh, the way I make that clear to the congregations I serve, and right now I'm serving four of them as an interim pastor in Illinois, is that I always say, I'm not leading your worship service. Jesus Christ is. I'm simply his voice. So the first thing that Jesus says about the church is a positive thing. I know your works and toil and your endurance and that you are not able to bear evil people. 
and you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. Now, that's really, really important. In the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the way that testing goes on is that when seminarians are assigned, they are spoken to by the professors and the seminary to make sure that they understand the Book of Concord, which is an accurate summary of God's holy word. And therefore, when a congregation calls a pastor, we do it on the basis of a list of ordained pastors that are certified to preach in these congregations. And in fact, a lot of times there will be interviews between the church and the pastor that they are calling to see if he's going to fit. It's not that every congregation is the same. Some may have a real intensive love for youth work. Others may have a hundred children in Sunday school. Others may have a lot of delinquents. Others may have shut-ins that need to be visited. And, and so when a pastor is called, he kind of checks out, do the gifts that God has given me fit with this particular congregation? And by those interviews, you are able to bear which people might best serve as pastors. And there are times when you find a pastor that you disagree with on a theological ground. Uh, for, for example, there are pastors who teach that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, you should only receive it by a common cup and not by individual vessels. Well, that's not in the Bible. And a pastor who's coming to your congregation and saying, not only will we only use the common cup, but we'll also commune every Sunday. And this, he says, without any teaching to the congregation about why he believes that. So that could be a reason that someone may say, well, no, I don't think that that pastor would be appropriate. When I had been at my 28-year-old church I was at, they did not have communion every Sunday. But I had a co-pastor, Peter Kurowski, just a tremendous pastor, still is. And he thought we should go to every Sunday communion. I disagreed with him, but I took a course at the seminary and discovered that he was correct. But before we went to every Sunday communion, we taught the congregation about the importance of communion until they asked, could we have it every Sunday? And that's what we did. We had it each Sunday. So, the compliment to the church at Ephesus is that they watch out to make sure, and in those days there were no sins or denominations, so you really had to check out 
whether or not the individuals that you were calling really did believe the word of God. Now, also because of the persecution at that time against Christians, Jesus also compliments them. You also have endurance and you bore up on account of my name and you have not grown weary. So that's some wonderful compliments that the church is able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then we get to the next portion where Jesus has something wrong with the church. I have something against you, namely that you have left your first love. Now, we know that John is the writer to uh, or, or about Revelation. And what we find interesting is that in John, the word love or the word agape is found many times. And one of the reasons that it's found many times is because John uses it. In fact, there are a number of times in the Bible that the word love is used, but more of them are used in the Gospel of John than anywhere else. In fact, this helps us to understand the importance of this first letter, because what it is saying is that every congregation has a problem and it's because they have left their first love. Now, what is their first love? Their first love is, of course, faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, it's a breaking of the first commandment. And when we take a look at other passages in the scripture, we find out that a breaking of the first commandment is then followed by a breaking of the rest of the commandments, or many of them. So John is saying, through Jesus, that the church has left its first love. John talks about quite a bit about love. It's in John 13 that Jesus told the disciples to one love one another as he loves them. And then who forgets John 3:16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Going on then, remember then, after losing your first love, from whence you have fallen, and repent and produce the first works. And if you don't, I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place if you don't repent. Now, we see this happening in a number of congregations. I believe the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America has, in a real sense, lost its lampstand. It is now for immoral life, even the marriage of two male pastors, 
and it's for abortion, okay, Zach, and it doesn't see the necessity of doing mission work to Muslims and others, because who knows how God saves people. So it's not that there are not Christians in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, but they appear to be blinded by the leadership of that church, and they really have lost a lampstand. I would never recommend anybody joining the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. In fact, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has even adopted a resolution indicating that it is no longer Lutheran. So going on, not, but this you have, namely, that you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So what's he talking about here? Well, this was a sect and particularly active at the time that John was writing this message to the church. It's an antinomian sect. What does that mean? It doesn't follow the laws of God. It follows what a lot of people in the United States say, oh, that's old-fashioned. You know, the idea that you have to be married in order to live with someone else, that's ridiculous. Well, that's kind of with the Nicolaitans, that they claimed license for sexual sins and other things. And yet the church is complimented for making sure that it does not follow their teaching. Each of the churches end with this. The one who has an ear, let him listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, what does it mean if you have an ear? It means you are hearing the Word of God and you're believing the Word of God. Haven't you heard what I have said? Doesn't mean, well, you heard the sounds, but you actually believe what is said. And then remember, there's always a promise at the end to those who repent. In this case, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, we know what the tree of life is. You go back to the Old Testament. It's that tree that Adam and Eve were not permitted to continue to eat because they would have lived forever in the Garden of Eden, even though they would have grown old. So they were removed. And yet in the new Eden, that is in heaven itself, it's described as having the tree of life and it's referred to as paradise. Paradise is a word that often means a beautiful garden. And that's exactly what Jesus is promising. That beautiful garden will be the place where the righteous live. In fact, that was even true in Judaism. They used the word paradise to talk about the afterlife for the righteous. But we understand it also now 
it reminds us that this is the new heaven and the new earth. So you have Jesus introducing himself, and we explain why he used the phrases he did. The thing is, every church has a situation where there are good things, there may be some bad things. It's important to go through the seven churches. I often, when I do this, say, what of the seven churches, which of them are most like your church? And later on, I'll tell you which one I believe I've been affiliated with. But be that as it may, wonderful messages of Jesus Christ warning not the churches back in John's day, but the churches in our day. That's what's so important. As Jesus says in Mark, repent and believe in the gospel. On next week's Wednesday Long Gospel, we'll be taking a look at the message of the angel to the church in Smyrna. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, we're going to be sharing something with you that is really a surprise. Join us tomorrow where I, Tom Baker, with Wes Reimnitz will announce our surprise. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.